What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you. It is Thursday, January 18th, 2024, and we're back in the saddle talking some Cardinals baseball. I just finished up a little bit ago recording another episode of the podcast with myself and Charlie Marlowe, which I think we're calling low-hanging fruit. That's what he called it this time. If anybody else out there has a better suggestion, but a lot of you guys know Charlie because he's got his own YouTube channel. I think his YouTube channel is titled Charlie Marlowe 590, the fan KFNS or something like that. You guys know Charlie. Find him, subscribe to his channel, and make sure you check that out because it's almost an hour of Cardinals conversation uh, that Charlie and I just wrapped up. That's something we're going to be doing every week, but I, I realize it's been a little bit of time since I've jumped on B-Shape Daily and had some talk with y'all. So I wanted to get a chance to do that today coming off of winter warm-up. There's so much to possibly break down from winter warm-up that I, I kind of have to take it in chunks, I feel like, and decide maybe one topic per day as to how I'm discussing the things that took place over Saturday, Sunday, and Monday at Bush Stadium as all the Cardinal players, all of the coaches and managers and John Mozeliak and everybody there for the first time really of the offseason as you kind of begin to turn the page toward what the Cardinals could look like in 2024. So appreciate you guys for joining me. We're going to dive into a little bit of conversation from maybe what we learned over the winter warm-up weekend. I'll try not to do too much crossover between what Charlie and I just talked about because a lot of my takes on Paul Goldschmidt and the Bally Sports Amazon stuff is going to be found over there, of course. Um, but I, I kind of wanted to hone in on one of the elements that Charlie and I talked about, and that's what the Cardinals could look like in 2025 if 2024 doesn't go the way that the team hopes that it will because it kind of gets us into some hypothetical territory that I don't know if it's fun for Cardinals fans. Like, I don't know if you'd say, hey, this is a fun conversation because the baseline for the conversation is that the Cardinals don't end up winning in 2024. But because it's still early, we're not yet to spring training. The whole 2024 experience is still ahead of us as far as what the Cardinals could do this year. And once we get closer to the season, it won't, I don't think anybody will feel like talking about, hey, what happens if this goes south? Because the spirit of everybody in Cardinal Nation, whether you think it's the case or not, you're going to buy in. You're going to want to be an optimist and believe that 2024 could be a great year and can be a year where the Cardinals bounce back. So for right now, I feel like it's a good time of the offseason to kind of take some stock of where they are and then say, hey, what happens if what they've planned for this season doesn't go well? Because I could see, and I laid this out a little bit with Charlie, but I want to expand upon it here. I could see a chain reaction taking place where the Cardinals almost enter into a modified sort of rebuild, but one that, A, I don't personally think would lead to the Cardinals truly tanking in the way that teams like the Houston Astros and Chicago Cubs did during their real downturns in productivity and, and payroll and things like that before they obviously um, the Cubs in like the, the 2016 era where they win the World Series and the Astros really since then having been able to kind of establish a new foundation for themselves. I don't think the Cardinals would necessarily be in those type of dark times, but I want to lay out kind of what I think could happen if the Cardinals don't win this year. If it doesn't go the way that the team hopes, how are they going to respond to that? And I think there are a lot of elements that sort of lead into why what I'm about to say, I don't think is necessarily tinfoil hat type of stuff. I don't think it's conspiracy so much as just kind of a logical conclusion to where things could go 
if the Cardinals don't have the success they're hoping to have this year. So that's going to be what we talk about on this edition of B-Shape Daily. Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. Make sure you subscribe. On YouTube especially, subscribe. YouTube.com slash B-Shaper12. That's the place where you can find all of my Cardinals audio and video content this year outside of the podcast with Charlie, which we're going to put on his channel, and you're going to want to subscribe over there as well. But this is going to be a very interesting year in terms of a a pivot point, I think, for Cardinal baseball. Can they reestablish the precedent of what they had built over the past really couple of decades? Or is this an era where the Cardinals are going to have a bit of a downturn? And could that impact payroll? And could there be other elements going on that sort of guides the Cardinals to that logical conclusion as well? Um, We're going to be covering it good or bad here on the channel, on YouTube, and as well as Spotify, Apple Podcasts. If you search B-Shape Daily on your favorite podcast app, that is where you will be able to find my stuff. So appreciate you guys as always. Of course, uh, check out everything at firstalert4.com. That's the former KMOV.com where uh, all my Cardinals articles will be this season. But wanted to dive on in with you guys and paint a picture. Like I said, it may not be the most uh, joyful picture that you've ever heard in your life, but I think it's an interesting one as we consider, hey, what might happen if the Cardinals don't bring it back in 2024? Like, they've done all these things to try and improve where they're at. They've added to the starting rotation. They've stabilized, in theory, a group that was a real problem for them last year when the bottom just completely fell out. And when the bottom fell out, and you had starting pitchers that weren't performing. We know the names, but those guys were going three, four, five innings if you were lucky sometimes. And then what did that mean? Well, the bullpen that was strained as it was had some injuries. Ryan Helsley not healthy uh, for a bulk of the year. That hurt them. They didn't have the mileage left on the tires to be able to get through and, and try and claw out of the awful start that the Cardinals had in 2023. So as a result, what did the Cardinals do? They went in and said, look, we're going to need the starting pitchers that are going to take the ball. They're going to give us six or seven innings. Maybe they give up four or five runs, but that's going to keep you in a game as opposed to giving up six in the first and then having to go to the bullpen in the third. In theory, the Cardinals have set up a rotation that isn't going to have that. I mean, we'll see if it ends up working out to their favor, but like that's going to be the idea. But you could also look at maybe a pessimist point of view and say, it's a rotation of guys age 35 and up. I think Stephen Matz is the the young pup of the rotation as it currently stands, and he turns 33 in a couple of months, I, I believe, is when his birthday happens. So that's where the Cardinals are is a group of veterans, but at the same time, if you didn't look at it optimistically and say, veterans, they've got, they've got the juice, they've got what it takes, they've been around the block to know how to get through a season. John Mozeliak has used the term guys who will go pole to pole, knowing that from day one to day 162, of that schedule, the, the Cardinals pitchers are going to be ready for what that rigor is going to be. Well, what if they're not? What if the bodies break down? That's another thing that can happen, right, to older players. What if it goes that way and the Cardinals, for whatever variety of reasons, maybe position player injuries, um, pitchers not being what they hoped, the bullpen doesn't have enough uh, you know, elite guys to be able to lock down those games, whatever the reason ends up being. We're going to live in this hypothetical for a little bit. And I don't even know if I want to put a win total on it, but let's say like the Cardinals are, are kind of teetering a handful of games below 500 for most of the year. And then as they kind of get to the deadline, they make some decisions too on, I don't know who they would sell necessarily um, in terms of a, like the, the middle of that roster, but they, they, they basically don't add at the deadline and it, it kind of uh, withers away on them. They, they go 75 and 87, right? They're not competitive. 
They're not in a playoff spot. They're toward the bottom of the division again. A lot of the teams in the division end up around 500. The Cardinals are like fourth or fifth place in the NL Central, and it just didn't end up being the season that anybody hoped. And now you can look at it and say, wow, that's two years in a row. Is that the sign of a new trend of where the Cardinals are hitting? And I think ownership, front office, everybody top to bottom would then have to kind of reckon with the fact that, yeah, maybe that is where things are heading if the Cardinals don't go in a different direction. So I want to paint the picture of what I think that direction could look like. And then I want you guys in the comments section below here on YouTube to let me know what do you think the roster and kind of the the, the makeup of the 2025 Cardinals that I'm about to line up, what would that be? Would it be something that you'd be excited to see? Would it be something that you, you would be just so frustrated with the team for uh, failing two years in a row? Let me know the temperature on what I'm about to give you because I think that while people are probably going to say, you know, man, that would be a bummer to basically go into 2025 with a lower payroll and think that the Cardinals aren't going to have a chance. But I also think there are some compelling guys in this organization that could make it so a mini rebuild. And again, this is not people are going to want to say, oh, my gosh, there's Brendan Schaefer stumping for the Cardinals and kind of excusing already the idea that they might have a bad year. No, I think it would be a, a colossal failure, and as a result, there would be people that would have to lose their jobs, I think, to, to get Cardinals fans on board with what would be next. But in conjunction with that, I wonder if this would be something that y'all would, at least there wouldn't be the boycott, right? People threaten, I'm going to boycott this team until they, they really fix some things. Let me lay it out for you like this. I'm not going to get too deep into exactly what the payroll numbers are now and would be because I, I frankly think it, there's wiggle room with with uh, there's obviously the arbitration thing for Tommy Edmonds still yet to come uh, and, and any additions that the team might make. But depending on what you look at, you know, 165, 170 million might be the payroll and, and maybe it goes up from there. The luxury tax competitive balance version of the payroll is something different. That's like 200 million, uh, whatever the case is. Let's just say that the Cardinals in an 87 loss season in 2024 have to reckon with two consecutive years of failure and that maybe the direction they're moving in is not a positive one. What happens in that world? Okay, let's start with managerial front office type stuff. Ollie Marmel, who I believe is a good manager, and if I if you had to put my feet to the fire and ask, do you think 2024 will be a rebound year for the Cardinals? My answer would be yes. I do tend to lean toward the optimistic side of things and believe that the Cardinals, with what they've done so far, can get themselves back into, and it's not maybe over the moon with it, but the mid-80s, mid to, to upper 80s and win total. I said right now, if I predicted it, I bet the fan base would put that over under around 85 and a half, maybe 86 and a half. And then you'd have about half the fan base say more, half the fan base would predict less. And that's kind of about where the Cardinals are, in my opinion, with what they've done so far, with reasonable expectations on guys getting hurt, but not too many, um, those sorts of things. Guys taking a step forward offensively that that you could predict to do so, like Jordan Walker, et cetera. If that's where the Cardinals are, that's great, right? They, maybe it's not great. It's certainly a step behind where they had been prior to 2023. But is that enough to kind of keep everything intact and keep them moving in the right direction if they kind of sneak into the playoffs? You may not love it as a Cardinal fan, but I would think that, yes, they're not going to make any drastic moves necessarily as a result of an 86-win wild card season. So that's kind of maybe the bar that I think is where they're at. It's not the goal, but I think based on what they've done, it's what we can maybe reasonably expect them to contend for. But what if it doesn't go that way and they lose 87 games? Well, Ollie Marmel's going into the final year of his contract. He does not have an extension at present. 
He isn't getting one at that point. Whether you say they, they fire him, they dismiss him, they just don't renew his contract, that would be my expectation. On an Again, all of this hypothetical is if the Cardinals lose 87, 88 games and they just don't have the juice in 2024, I don't see them bringing back Ali Marmel at that point. I Again, I, I expect them to not have the type of season we're going to talk about, but I want to talk about it because I think it's really interesting to imagine what could happen um, in that world if that should take place. So Ali is no longer the manager at that point. What happens with John Lozalock? His contract is up after the 2025 season, and he has made no bones about the fact that that's probably it for him, at least in the president of baseball operations role, whether he would stay with the organization, take a step back, be an advisor, move to the business side, whatever the case would be. I don't expect Mo to be running the baseball ops department as we go to spring training for 2026. That would be very surprising to me based on what we've heard. And winter warm-up did nothing to change that. He said, I'm not going to sit here and retire on January 13th. That being said, I don't think anything's really changed on that front. So still, I believe the status quo was what he said last February when he signed the contract extension, which was, I think 2025 will kind of be when that wraps up for me. And we, we start to maybe move toward a disillusion of some of the responsibilities already that Mo has. That was the idea. Now, then they had a bad 2023, and I think he's had to be more hands-on now in the aftermath of that than he was necessarily even planning to be in 2024 and 2025. Um, we'll see what ends up happening. But if they lose 88 games this season, I, I think you could see maybe a premature Mo stepping back into a more advisory position. And then the next part is like, okay, who takes his place? I think there's a lot of reason to believe that Heim Bloom would make a lot of sense specifically for the tie, uh, for the style of Cardinal baseball that I would be expecting for 2025 in a world where 24 doesn't go well. Because what could that look like? Well, you've got two veteran cornerstones, literally, on your infield, and Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. Now, we talked about it with Charlie a little bit in the Low Hanging Fruit episode number two that's over on his channel. It's kind of one of the first topics we touched on. But do I think Paul Goldschmidt would be signing an extension at that point? I would no, it would be surprising to me because if they're if they're reorganizing the manager and the the president of baseball operations at that point, and then if they would bring in Heim Bloom, which again, you can read the quotes and hear the quotes from Mosaic over the weekend about the Heim Bloom hire. He said he thinks people are maybe jumping the gun a little bit to assume that that means he is, you know, next in line to take over for Mo. But if if nothing else, he said, it does strengthen our bench. That's a direct quote. So the bench being guys like, Flo, Randy Flores in the front office, and Mike Gersh. And then here's Heim Bloom, who's got experience running an organization in Boston. And what I think Boston asked him to do was, hey, we're not going to spend fully on payroll. You're going to have to find a way to win without that. And probably an unfair expectation for a market like that. But he did what he could, made some trades that people didn't love. Obviously, trading away Mookie Betts didn't work out for Boston. But at the same time, I think that was something that ownership said, hey, this is what we need you to do because we're not going to pay him. We're not going to extend him. So. He was operating under those parameters, but in Tampa, where he was uh, one of the top executives there, they've done it for years on a low payroll and figured out a way to, to make more out of less, to do more with less in terms of financial contributions. So if the Cardinals are looking at hiring Heim Bloom, that's coming in conjunction with a time where the Bally Sports stuff and the Amazon stuff, it's all kind of in flux. Maybe the Cardinals have to do their own network for 2025 and the startup costs associated with getting the, the ball rolling on that means maybe not as much liquid cash right away. And so you could be talking about 
in again, in a world where the Cardinals lost two years in a row, it's not necessarily that they're cutting a bunch of, of payroll and, and trading a bunch of guys away. I could isolate it, honestly, to four people. Paul Goldschmidt, who's not under contract for the 2025 season at this point, simply wouldn't be. The Cardinals wouldn't pursue an extension with him because he would know that, hey, maybe they're not looking to, to really contend for a World Series right away after two straight losing seasons. And the Cardinals would say, like, you know, his performance is kind of declining a little bit. Like, let's say he has a similar year to 23. Pretty good, but not the, the great Paul Goldschmidt that we're all used to seeing. And the Cardinals say, with where we're at, it just doesn't necessarily make sense to invest the, the 20 million or whatever it would be to have him on an annual basis. And the reason that they're not extending him now is got a couple of different explanations, but it makes sense as he's making $26 million, And if the Cardinals were to try to extend him right now, the Players Association, there's a rule where you can't go below a certain percentage of the previous salary with that next contract. So the Cardinals couldn't offer him $10 million, even if he wouldn't wanted to accept it. They couldn't offer him a 10 or a $15 million AAV because that would go against the, the rules in place with the, the the collective bargaining agreement and the Players Association and everything like that because I think it's like 80 or 85% of the prior salary has got to be the minimum. Unless a guy goes to free agency, then you can do whatever you want because it's not an extension. It's just, hey, he's a free agent, and this is what the market dictated for him. But the Players Association wouldn't let you do it without him at least officially going to free agency, which if you can think back a couple of years, that's what Adam Wainwright did uh, at the end of his big contract extension, which didn't really pan out because of his injuries, the Cardinals said, we'll bring you back on a modified, you know, one-year deal with incentives. But they actually officially had to let him hit free agency before they could do that to get around the rules. So with Goldschmidt, it's the same thing. And we had talked about previously, based on reporting from others, that, hey, it looks like the extension's going to happen. Here's why it's not. And it makes perfect sense when you kind of walk through that and say, well, Goldie doesn't know if he wants to be on the Cardinals beyond. Cardinals don't maybe know what his production is going to be beyond this year. And even if they wanted to do it, they'd have to pay him a minimum of like 21 mil AAV. And if he kind of hits a wall, people talk about the Matt Carpenter extension that happened early. If he hits a wall there in 2024 and isn't worth 21 million AAV, then the Cardinals are protected from that standpoint. And they could always revisit at the end of the season. If, if Goldie wants to be here, if they make the playoffs and things went semi-well for him, then I would think that the reunion would happen and none of what we're about to talk about would take place. But in this little hypothetical where they do have that losing season, if they're having that losing season coming into July, you trade Goldie. Um, and that could maybe be the, the domino that kind of accepts the fate of where the organization is heading. And maybe they make a midseason move at manager. Maybe they make a midseason move at, at GM or, or Pobo. Um, I think that would probably have to come with being a good eight to 10 games below 500 before the deadline. But of course, we don't know for sure um, what this scenario would be. We're just basically saying in a losing season for the Cardinals, how would it play out? If they're losing at the deadline, you trade an expiring asset of Goldie. If both sides agree, that would take a conversation with Goldie. Like, are you cool with this? Um, we don't want to uh, you know, make you upset. But I, I think for him, it would be a point where, yeah, I mean, if you all are looking to go in a different direction, then maybe this is the way that we would go with it and there'd be a trade. Nolan Arenado would be banging down the door to be traded at that point, uh, and you couldn't really blame him, but he does have the contract on the books, and so, like, how is his season going? Um, what is his trade value as a result of that? Maybe he plays out the rest of the year, but you could certainly see Arenado then being traded in the offseason if the Cardinals are saying the $26 million we're paying Goldschmidt, that's reduced from our payroll, and we're really not planning on replacing it in a huge substantial way we're going to go internal options at first 
Because now remember, Heimblum in this scenario is sort of stepping into the Mo role, and he's been able to do more with less in other places. And with the Bally situation uncertain, the Cardinals are basically saying, we're not going to tear it down, but we're going to have natural ways of the payroll to kind of decrease for 2025, and we'll see where we land with some of the guys that we have internal. And I'm going to give you a lineup. I'm going to give you a rotation and, and predict kind of what that could look like. And that's when I want you to tell me a win total. How competitive do you think this uh, pretend team could be in 2025? But first, I got to tear it down. So we've traded Goldie with Arenado. He has to be traded in the offseason or maybe even at the deadline. You know, that just kind of depends on on the way things are going and how bad it really is in July. And again, at this point, it wouldn't be anything against Arenado or Goldschmidt um, saying, oh, they don't want to be in St. Louis. No, it would be probably a conversation that comes from the front office where they say, this is a direction we're probably heading. What would that look like for you guys? And if I'm either of those players, I would say, yeah, it would probably make the most sense to, um, to move on because the window has sort of shut on this era in St. Louis, and they're looking to start a new one, which, again, I'll explain why I believe it could reopen rather quickly, but it's just I don't want to see negative comments about Arenado and Goalie, like, oh, they wouldn't want to stay. Like, you guys understand the game. I think you understand what would be happening in this hypothetical to where it would honestly make sense for both sides to do those deals. Cardinals get some more prospects. They unload the payroll a little bit. They might have to take on some of Nolan's money, um, which which could hurt a little bit in keeping the payroll down, but they could also kind of make that decision of maybe they they do what the Rockies did and they didn't take as much um, in, in prospects coming in. Now, granted, the Rockies didn't get much in prospects and they paid the Cardinals a bunch of money, uh, but the Nolan contract was a lot bigger at the time because there were more years on it, and there's also the element of the Rockies were uh, they're being cheap, right? They just wanted to get out from under the contract and and totally reduce that payroll because they didn't see the window to win with him. And they just said, we any way we can reduce this uh, this burden, we're going to do that. I don't think it would quite be that way for the Cardinals because they'd already be uh, trimming payroll pretty considerably. But what is it? Nolan makes like 35 a year. Goldie's 26. Um, that's $51 million trimmed. And then we know that they signed Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn to one-year deals with the option. Well, they wouldn't pick up the options in this case, almost regardless of how the guys performed. You could see, you know, that's like $12 million each or $11 million, whatever it is. That's like $23 million. Now that's gone. You're close to $75 mil and just those four guys that would be trimmed from the 2025 payroll. Could they backfill some of that? Will there be arbitration raises uh, on guys they keep? Sure. Tommy Edmond at that point would be an interesting name um, simply because he'll be making probably eight, nine, ten million million if the Cardinals are really trying to aggressively trim payroll after two losing seasons. Uh, maybe that would be a trade candidate as well, depending on how his season goes. But now you've basically, it's not like you've dismantled the roster. You took the two two of the starting pitchers that you brought in on one-year deals and said that was enough. We're not going to pursue things any further there. Um, and then on the, the position player side, your, your infield cornerstones that are at a stage in their careers, respectively, where they should be wanting to win and be competitive. If the Cardinals are taking it in a different direction than that, would make all the sense in the world for those guys to uh, perhaps look to go elsewhere too. That's like $75 million. Suddenly the Cardinals are like $100, $110 million payroll, maybe $115, $120. Again, people would be pissed. People would hate that, and they'd say they're being cheap. But let me lay out if that was the way it was going to go. And Heimblum would be the specific guy to lead it because he's done more with less. And then it would be with the thought process, and I don't know if you would believe the DeWitts on this, but it would be with the, the thought process of, let's get the foundation of these young players. We put them out there. We see how it goes. And then for the offseason into 2026, the Cardinals would then be able to balloon back up into that 160, 170, 180, whatever 
payroll number um, to, to be able to have the additions that they would need. But it would almost be like forcing the Cardinals to do the thing that they almost have never done with these internal players, and it's why you lose a Zach Gallon and you lose a, a, a Randy Rosarena, and you lose a Sandy Alcantara because there just weren't roles for those players. And so some of those guys in that crop where you said they might be talented, but we can't afford in a year-in, year-out pennant race where the expectations are in St. Louis, we can't really afford to give those guys playing time because we're so worried of what will happen if they fail, right? And they, it, it, it didn't work out for the Cardinals in those instances. So instead of having it go that way with the next crop of young talent, they go the other way. Here would be the rotation. Sonny Gray, because he's under contract for two more years, that is what it is. It's not really a tradable contract either, even if he doesn't pitch well, does pitch well. Um, he's making $35 million in the third year of the deal, right? It escalated with the way that they... Um, they measured that out. So you'd have Sonny Gray, Miles Michaelis, and Steven Matz would all be under contract for 2025. Gibson and Lynn, you let them walk after the one year. And how do you fill out spots four and five in your rotation? Well, ideally, the Cardinals would spend this year kind of still seeing the development of some of these players. And then by 25, you would know which two could fit into a rotation that, again, isn't expecting to win 90 games. Like if your payroll's 110, you're accepting some things on that side of it and saying, we're, we're going to see how this plays out. We're going to believe in the talent that we have, but fans would know going into the year that it's not like they have, they've gone balls to the wall to try and win now. Who would be those players? Okay, I mean, Zach Thompson is entering this year as the number six starter. If he ends up being called into action in the rotation because of injuries, underperformance, whatever the case would be, and he holds his own, you, you pluck him and drop him into that 2025 rotation as your number four. And then one other prospect, right? They've got enough of these guys. They didn't mature the way the Cardinals were hoping last year. We didn't see McGreevy. We didn't see Gordon Graceffo. Then they trade for Sam Robertson. They trade for Adam Kloffenstein. Um, there are probably some Matthew Libertor. If he's not a reliever, maybe he's a starter. Like of those five guys, Drew Rahm, of those six, seven guys, maybe there's one that emerges as a starter for 2025. What if it's a top prospect? What if it's Tink Hentz after, let's say he has a great year in the minors and he ends the season in AAA and he comes into 2025 spring training and ends up, you know, pitching like a, a, a top half of the rotation starter, okay? Again, will you have confidence in that going into the year? Maybe not as a fan, but you're not supposed to. Like in this world, in this little fantasy that we're building, it's a hypothetical mini rebuild that sees the Cardinals go in with a lower payroll and a new president of baseball operations that would uh, have be conducive to that because he was involved in, in the Tampa organization that did things that way. And Heim Bloom all the while is hopefully beefing up the Cardinals minor league system like he did with the Red Sox, which the Cardinals still have a solid minor league system, especially with what they added at the deadline. Um, they've got pieces that should be able to uh, move up the chain, but they also have to develop those players and have them reach their ultimate potential. Um, but I, I think I saw Baseball America put out their top 101 prospect list, and the Cardinals had like six or seven names on the list again. Um, so there are guys that, that should be on the way to help. But in this world for 2025, if you were looking at a rotation of Gray, Michaelis, Matz, Zach Thompson, Tink Hens, all right? And, and if not Tink Hens, if he's not quite ready, one of those other Graceffos or somebody from that crop. You may not be super thrilled because it's the unknown right now, but um, 2024 is going to dictate a lot of who that could end up being. And so you've got two spots in your rotation that, that are on the cheap is basically the way that that would play out. Um, bullpen wise. I don't really know. I haven't, we didn't really dive into this with Charlie, but would there be a lot of changes like guys like Gallegos would be getting up there in money. So he's probably gone. Helsley 
you know, you probably move on. The bullpen is going to be more of those young guys that come in and you just kind of see. It's going to be very much a, a, a low-cost operation, which could end up costing you if, if none of those younger guys end up emerging into the roles you hope. But maybe, you know, maybe Romero's still here and, and, and Libertor ends up not being a starter. He's on the relief side and he ends up being a lockdown eighth inning man. Like, there are ways that that could develop to be, I'm not saying great, but could be passable, right? But what we wanted to focus on was the lineup because you're talking about taking away basically the two best hitters and what could that look like? Well, is there a world in which the Cardinals didn't trade from their crop of position players because at the end of the day, if this season doesn't go the way they hope, those guys are still low-cost, high-talent contributors to the team like Gorman and Donovan. They're still on on pre-arb as of now. Um, They'll be moving into arb soon enough, but they won't cost you all that much in 2025. What would it look like and I'm going to go through the diamond right now for you. If you went catcher, Ivan Herrera, first baseman, Wilson Contreras, second baseman, Brendan Donovan, shortstop, Mason Wynn, third baseman, Nolan Gorman, left field, Lars Neupfar, center field, Victor Scott, the kid who stole 94 bases last year in the minors and um, won a gold glove in the minors, talented defensive player, very intriguing prospect. Uh, we'll see what the hit tool ends up being. But let's say Victor Scott in center and Jordan Walker in right. There's a lot of intrigue on that lineup, isn't there? I think there is. And you might say, well, why is Wilson the first baseman? Well, think of it that they're already going to have Yvonne Herrera play 40, 50 games at catcher this year. Maybe without Goldsmith there, it just makes sense to play Wilson, you know, 60, 70 games at catcher, play Yvonne Herrera 60, 70 games at catcher in 2025. Wilson DH a, a few dozen games and it, other first base options would be like Brendan Donovan plays first and Thomas Sejaci plays second that day. The prospect who was uh, Texas league player of the year, I believe is the title for what he, the award that he won. And, and you're kind of looking at it in those terms. I don't know. I, I'm not saying that's a team that's going to win 90 games, but with that lineup, that rotation and just kind of some kind of amalgamation in the bullpen of what it could be. What do you think would happen there? How many games would that version of the 2025 Cardinals win with a low payroll and and then you kind of go from there? Because to me, that could be a team that would it be likely to make the playoffs? I don't think so. Unless they do like what the Diamondbacks did this past year and kind of rise above of above their experience level and their talent level maybe even as well, would that be able to to get them into a wild card? Maybe. I'm going to say no because I just don't think they have enough on the pitching side. Um, you're relying upon a good deal of unknowns at that point. But could that team win 79 or 80 games and do enough to keep it interesting for a little while under kind of a new regime, whether Yachty would be the manager or whoever you would want to be the manager? I don't want to spend too much time speculating on that because, again, I tend to believe that that I believe in what Ollie Marmel is capable of doing. People might look at me and say, that's not right, but that's how I feel. So I'm not going to spend too much time on that. Um, but remember, this is all hypothetical. So if Yachty's the manager and maybe that injects something new into the, the clubhouse that helps them, what in, what ends up happening with that version of the Cardinals? Like I could even try and make a, a mock one through nine on the lineup, but I'll include Sejaci in this too because I, I just feel like um, he's a guy that's on the rise and, and could end up being solid. Uh, Tommy Edmond too. Like if, if the Cardinals were not to trade him away, he would be able to bounce around and if he's center field with Victor Scott, if he's shortstop, if he's infield, whatever. Tommy Edmond would be a contributor there. You know, Dylan Carlson could still be on the bench as an ARB2 guy. 
and you know whoever else ends up being part of that that mix of guys that could rise above like Luke and Baker maybe Luke and Baker shows he he looked real trim real trim and slim when we we saw him at winter warm up maybe he's in a good spot where he can have some opportunity um take the cup of coffee that he got last year and then go hey say hey I I could hit 2025 bombs in 450 plate appearances in the big leagues like okay you're playing a, a good 70 80 games at first base as well on that 2025 team on the cheap where you don't have to pay a guy to to be a power source all these things kind of happen i would look at it like trying to think of a daily lineup give me like i I still think i like brendan donovan and lars newbar at the top of the order uh just because they're they're such good table setters but i don't you're still going to try to not match lefty lefty so let's say lead off donovan batting second who's a good right-handed bat to put in the two hole um, no, because then that's going to lower Lars Newbar too low in the lineup. Like Newbar's going to hit in the top four. Gorman's going to hit in the top four. So there's there's just going to be a scenario where you kind of have to come up with it. So I'll go like Donovan, Newbar, Contreras, Gorman, because that gets a right-handed bat in there. Or Jordan Walker. Like Jordan Walker by then should be able to hit up higher in the lineup. So maybe I'll do it this way. Let's go Donovan. I want Jordan Walker number two because I want him getting as many bats as possible if he takes that step forward like he's definitely capable of doing. I'll go Donovan, Walker, and then I need a lefty. I'll go Newt Barr because I still think he might be a more complete hitter than Gorman. So I'll go I'll go that way. Now I want to have a right-hander batting cleanup. And let me know in the comments below. This is, again, all fantasy, all kind of just playing it out and seeing what we think. But what would your lineup be? In 2025, the Cardinals decide to sell and and, and kind of not return with some of the big names, big price guys that they have on their infield right now. I'm going to go Donovan, Jordan Walker, Lars Newbar three, Wilson Contreras four, Nolan Gorman five, because now I've got a nice left, right, left, right thing going with, with uh, Gorman batting fifth as a lefty. And then... Who would I have going sixth? Um, we've still got Herrera. We've still got Mason Wynn. We've still got Victor Scott. Like, Victor Scott could be the leadoff batter in that scenario as well. And that might even make the most sense. Victor Scott leadoff. Maybe then it's Newt Bar two, Jordan Walker three, Gorman four, or Newt Bar four, Gorman five, whichever way you want that. Wilson Contreras six. And then down at the bottom, you kind of have, uh, you know, Yvonne Herrera, it's probably like Thomas to JC seven, Avon Herrera eight, Mason Wynn nine. What do you think about that lineup? It took us a while to work through it, but is that a world in which you as a Cardinals fan are going to go into the season knowing, yep, I see what they did. They let Arnado go. They let Goldie go. They didn't replace any of the two pitchers that they had signed to the one-year contracts. Payroll is $110 million. That really chaps my khakis. Don't like it um, because I think they should always be trying. But they take a year. They get their own television deal figured out. They they build that infrastructure, and whether anybody likes it or not, the payroll is lowered, but that's the team that's on the field. How competitive is that team? How many games does that team win? With Sonny Gray, Miles Michaelis, Steven Matz, Zach Thompson, Tink Hens as the rotation. How many games does that team win? Let me know in the comments section below what you think about this. Would you as a Cardinals fan be where I think a lot of folks say they would be? which is I'm, I'm off the stuff for good until they really invest in the team. I'm not going to support them on the level that I had. I'm not going to go to games. I'm not going to make it a priority to watch or invest emotionally. 
Or are you going to say, man, Jordan Walker, exciting young player. I want to watch his prime. Mason Wynn coming into his own. I want to see that. Victor Scott, I want to see what that's about. Are we going to see some whitey ball with Victor Scott and Mason Wynn and maybe Tommy Edmond in there? All three of those guys stealing 30 bases. Maybe Victor Scott, maybe he figures out that on-base tool and he steals 50 bags a year because he gets on base enough to do it. You know, maybe Tink Hens ends up being a guy that, my goodness, who could have seen it coming? He's going to strike out 180 batters in 150 innings. Like, man, he's exciting. Is there a world in which you as a Cardinals fan could go into a season of 2025 after two losing years knowing that the team is not building itself with the ultimate goal to do everything they can to win 90 games and, and, and win a World Series in 25? Would you still support it? Would you still watch it? Or right now, is it too far away for you to even put yourself in that mindset because you're coming off of a bad season where you maybe did check out a little bit during the year because it just got to be too much emotionally because you knew that they weren't going to win? Where would you be as a Cardinal fan on this? I think it's an interesting question. That's kind of how I would lay out that 2025 team in the event of 2024 not going the Cardinals' way. Again, with the caveat being, I do think 24 can go the Cardinals' way. I think they can have a good season. But let me know what you think in the comments section below on YouTube. Make sure you hit subscribe, like the video, comment below. Make sure we are building this thing up on B-Shape Daily and the Brendan Schaefer St. Louis Cardinals Writer YouTube channel. And one more plug for the low-hanging fruit podcast that I did with Charlie Marlowe earlier today. You can go find that on Charlie Marlowe's YouTube channel as well. Thank you guys so much for watching and listening as always. We'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.